and more and to Cornet. We just want to thank you for just embracing us and loving us. And I really mean it when I say we feel part of this family. Um, last night was an incredible blessing to us to experience to James and the worship team. I haven't experienced that for such a long time. The, it was anointed, it was spirit-filled, it was incredible. And then to see a family coming and confessing things that are they're struggling with. The vulnerability was just incredible to see. And I see now why this church is having an incredible impact in this town or this city. I'm not sure what you call it. Um, but Amor, we, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Uh, Ursula, thank you for, for what you've done. So I uh, shared yesterday and realizing that most of the people we're here yesterday. I've got to try and change what I said yesterday. But it is my life, and I, I come here, I say to the churches, I, I'm not a teacher. Uh, I'm not a, somebody that comes with theological degrees. I don't lead a church. But I'm passionately in love with Jesus. And so I can tell you about Jesus and what he's done in my life. And yesterday when I saw the response of people who are saying, yes, Jesus, here I am, use me. Um, the world says that actions speak louder than words. But I just want to encourage you that reactions speak louder than actions. And so the way you reacted yesterday, if that can become what God has called you to do. That's what he's wanting us to do. So I just want to, after last night, I felt that I also want to be vulnerable in this house. And just tell you why I so love Jesus. I, I was born in Johannesburg, um, lived in a, a beautiful home with beautiful parents, a brother and a sister. There was no Jesus in our home. But I had loving parents and I experienced the love of parents. I am very grateful to say that both my mum and my dad are home with Jesus. And I've realized that God allows certain things to happen. And I loved my dad. He had a problem with alcohol, but I loved him. He loved us and he gave us everything that he had. And he got motor neuron disease 18 months before he died. But it was in that time that he came to know Jesus. And I'm so grateful for that 18 months. When he, was, when he was ill, he turned to Jesus and was passionate. He never missed a Sunday. He loved Jesus. And I'm so grateful for that because I'll see him when I go home to be with him. But we were raised in Joburg. I went to St. Stillian's College and then I finished at Cares. And I was with a little bit of talent and I played South African schools cricket and, and first team rugby. I went to university. Uh, I went to Air Force and then to university um, in Peter Maritzburg. We had 19 years of age. I was chosen to play for the Sharks. Um, we played against England that year in 1971. Um, and then the following year I was chosen to play cricket for South Africa. So here I was in Peter Maritzburg 
at university. Peter Marisworth is a small place like George. So I became a bit of a celebrity in Peter Marisburg. And if I, if I wasn't, I thought I was. And so I <laughs> started to get speaking engagements. I was going out to the Rag Queen. And so life was great. But I, I got it. I remember getting invited to Scottsville Racecourse. And uh, I went along there and everybody looks after you and marks your race card and everything. I made a lot of money that day. And that was the start of my gambling addictions. I got addicted to gambling, to horses and casinos. And while we were playing sport, there was a lot of discipline in your life because you had to stay fit. You had to be there, you know. So that was the only thing that I had in my life. But at 32 years of age, um, when I retired, that fell away as well. So my gambling and drinking addictions, I, I got married to that drag queen, had two beautiful children, but my lifestyle got worse and worse, and things just started to spiral downwards. And at 35 years of age, I ended up in a home for alcoholics and drug addicts. I owed two million rand, which is probably equivalent to, I don't know, 30, 20, 30 million rand today through my gambling addictions. My wife and children left. They couldn't put up with what it, my behavior. And I ended up going to this home for alcoholics and drug addicts. Um, just before I went, I went to see somebody that said, go and see Peter Pollock. Peter was a selector when I was playing. And I went to see Peter Pollock and he had one look at me and he said, Titch, your life is in such a mess. There's only one answer for you and his name is Jesus Christ. So I wept that day and gave my life to Jesus. And I was told that he was a miracle working God. So I went to the home for alcoholics and drug addicts. And while I was there, I thought this Jesus was going to wave a magic wand. Because I say, come to Jesus and everything's going to be okay. So I thought he's going to wave this wand and he's going to set me free from alcohol, pay my debts, restore my marriage and put me back on a pedestal. But it didn't happen. This Jesus wasn't that Jesus. So I ran away from Durban. Durban's a small place. I was raised in Johannesburg, and, and, and I really got a hundred times worse. I gambled more, I drank more. But I came to know Jesus. I didn't realize at the time, uh, I got involved in illicit diamonds. A guy phoned me and said, Titch, I believe your life is in a mess, and you know a lot of people, and you know the right people. Would you be prepared to get involved in this deal? And I thought, wow. This is an incredible opportunity that maybe God is providing for me to get rid of my debt. So, so I said, yes, I'd get involved. And I organized to meet these guys from Lesotho. And in that time in South Africa, it wasn't difficult to see who was from Lesotho and who was from South Africa. And I went to this five-star hotel and I was going to meet them in the bar. And they were going to give me these uncut diamonds and I was going to just move them on. And that was the deal done, and I was going to get 500,000 Rand for this. And I sat in that bar, obviously a bit nervous, and I looked up, and these two gentlemen came in, 
and I sat at the bar and they sat the other side of the bar. They didn't know who I was, but I knew who they were. And I looked up at them and I saw the vision of my two children looking at me from behind prison bars. So I got up and I walked away from that deal. And so I realized that even when I didn't acknowledge him, his hand was upon my life. He then set me free from gambling. I'm not going to get into that because we got involved in some bad things with certain jockeys. But I walked off the Germiston race course one day, full of alcohol and had lost all my money. And somebody said to me, as I was walking out the gates, the turnstiles, he said, go back to Durban to be closer to your children, get a job, pay back your debt and let people see that your life has changed. And I turned around and there was nobody behind me. But I got into my car and drove back to Durban. No job. I lived with my brother for three weeks. And he said to me, I'm not going to give you any money because of your addictions, but you can stay here and I will feed you. This was when I was 35 years of age, so it's a humbling experience. My children were in Marisburg with my ex-wife. And I couldn't get a job. I went round to everybody I owed money to and I asked them for forgiveness. It wasn't well received. And then my brother said, he's a lawyer. He's the sensible one of the family. He's a developer. He built Princess Gone Golf Course. He's built Gowrie Golf Course in Nottingham. A very successful guy. He said, Titch, you need to sequestrate yourself. And I said, I can't do that. I created the debt, I must pay it back. He said, you haven't got a job and you owe like 30, 40 million rand today. I said, well, I'm going to pay it back and I committed to pay 500 a month. And then I got a job at Sunlum. If there was 100 jobs, that would have been the very last job. Can you imagine being a life assurance salesman? I'm not sure if you, oh, there are some here. I do want to say to those financial advisors, if there are any here today, I just want to tell you, a friend of mine a, 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 a leads a church in Pretoria, preached a sermon the other day, and he said, be careful where you put people's money. Because in Revelation it says the world's economies are going to collapse in an hour. Anyway. So, I started working at Sunlum. Little did I know it's the one job where you can write your own check because you purely earn commission, you don't get any salary. And I knew a lot of people through my contacts and my sporting contacts. And I call them sympathy policies. When people see you trying to turn your life around, some people say, oh, fine, Titch is bat in shame and let's support him, let's buy a policy from him. <laughs> so I got a lot of support from a lot of people. But we've got to do God's way even when it's not easy. And I just want to say more, God is looking for a holy church. And when I saw those people confessing last night, that's the beginning of holiness. When you confess and repent, redemption and restoration start to happen. And I believe that you will build a holy church. And that's what God wants to differentiate us from the world. And so it was at that time that towards the end of my uh, time at Sunlam, 
that I met Joni. I went to help her with her assurance. Her husband was murdered um, fishing on the beach at Tongat. And I went to help her. And then she's got one story, and I've got another story, so we'll leave that for another time. But within a year, we were married. And we believed that God brought us together for his purposes. And so up till that time, I had never opened a Bible or been to church. But I came to know Father who loved me just as I was. And he restored my life. And Jesus and me knew that I'd given my life to Jesus. And that day I felt God say, you need to start to confess Christ to the nations. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. We're going to church with Joni and and, and our lives changed. We had four children, teenagers. They're all married now, and we have eight beautiful grandchildren. And I, I, be, you know, I know it doesn't please them more than anybody else, but church life, cell groups, church on Sunday, cell groups Tuesday, then they want you to go to a men's camp, and I don't like, I hate men's camps because I'd rather my wife come with me. And so I found this life quite boring. And I was coming back from a mission trip. And I prayed in tongues for two and a half hours, driving back for eight hours on my own. I I screamed at the Lord and I said to him, surely there's got to be more to life than working, making money and going to church. And it was like a head-on collision with Jesus. Because after I finished praying in tongues, two and a half hours, but I screamed at him. I was exhausted. I said, please speak to me. And for six hours I listened. And he said to me, build a village for orphan abundable children that they will come to know they have a father in heaven who loves them. Create jobs for rural communities that they can sustain their families. And the government will come and see what works and you can point them to the cross. But it was so clear that I came back and drew a picture for Joan and then and then um, we try to do it in our own strength. And I just want to encourage all of you that all you have to do to say, here I am, Lord Jesus, use me. Because he's looking, he's calling every single person and very, very especially those who feel unworthy. Because others that have been successful, we think we could do it in our own strength. But those that are broken, I believe that God works out of a place of brokenness Joan's life and my life, we were both broken when we came together. And I've started to realize that God's plans are better than our plans. And God's got more money than we have got. So when he calls you to do something, rather do it his way and he will pay for it. But if you want to do it your way, then you're going to have to pay for it. So we learned that very quickly. And so we thought we're going to build this village and we'll do it in our strength. So we started a building company with a Messianic Jew who said he was a master builder, a beautiful man. And subsequently I learned that he couldn't even build with Lego blocks. Don't worry about blocks. 
And we learned the hard way and we built this house and we were going to build houses and sell houses and then build the village. Made a lot of sense to us. And again, I say to you, as I said yesterday, I've learned that common sense and the Holy Spirit don't sit in the same box. So we can be church. Let me read the scripture to you, which is really in John 5. We can really um, do it our, our way. But this is what really hit me not so long ago during COVID. In John 5, 38. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent you, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures for in him, in, for in them you think you have eternal life. These are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So many of us read the scriptures and come to church and do those things, but do we really, really know Jesus? And it's a challenging thing to come to Jesus because he knows what's in the closets. He knows what you're hiding. And that's why people don't want to come to Jesus. They'll come here and everything's okay. They'll tell you about the scriptures and they'll teach you about the scriptures. But they don't want to come to Jesus. And I encourage you, each and every one of you, as you saw you coming here, I realize that you've encountered Jesus now. Come to Jesus and let him clean you up. Because he started to remove, he set me free of, of gambling. Sorry, and then alcohol. I went back to the school 25 years after I had finished school. We, I went to Cares, finished there, good cricket school, a lot of really good players. And I hadn't seen my mates for a long time, and we had a party second to none. And then I drove back the next morning, this is just after we got married, and I had to play golf with my wife and, and her sister uh, and that afternoon. And I, I don't know, you probably won't understand what I'm saying, because none of you have experienced it. But that morning I had a bubbleus. For you that don't know what it means, it means the hangover. And I was feeling desperately sick. And I said to the Lord, this cannot be your plan for my life. Please take the taste of alcohol away from me. From that day, I've never desired another drop of alcohol. So the alcoholic's home couldn't set me free. But Jesus can set anybody free from anything. And that's when I truly came to know that this Jesus is who he is. Then I tried to do the building business and then we decided, no, let us try and do it his way. And that's when he sent us into the communities and we started at Amaoti. Joni went in there. She heard people say that the, the ladies working for us told us these kids were starving and we went and we started to feed the children there. And that was an incredible eight years of our lives, longer for Joan, eight years for my, of my life, um, where God breaks you down once again. And we talked about it yesterday, getting rid of the worldly values. And, and you know, Mother Teresa, she's an incredible example. I read a lot about George Muller, Mother Teresa, Charles Mully, these guys that have looked after children because God has put such a passion on my heart to look after these precious children. Um, but Mother Teresa said, what is the best gift that you could ever give me? Somebody said to her, what is the best gift that we could ever give you? 
She said, the poor. He said, the poor? How can be the, that be the best gift you've ever had? She said, it enables me to, sense, to spend 24 hours of every day with Jesus. He says, when you do it unto the least of them, you're doing it unto me. I can spend 24-7 with Jesus when I'm with the poor. And I remember with Joni, they're incredible. We planted a church, so I was a church leader. We planted a church. <laughs> it was an incredible. Uh, I said to, to, to the leaders in the church, I said, I feel God calling me to plant a church because now we have back-to-school programs. We had 600 children on the back-to-school program. We had 32 child creches in the community. We were feeding 2,500 children. We had 40 teams in the soccer leagues. But now I'm going to plant a church. So I said to, to Ian, um, Goulay, uh, Charles Goulay, Ian Goulay, who was, he's since passed away, he was leading the church. I said to him, Ian, what is the church supposed to do? He said, Titch, don't worry what a church is supposed to do because none of the churches do what God wants them to do anyway. <laughs> so so I, I, we went and planted the church. So it was an incredible time that we had in this community. Got to know him, he broke us down. We had that amazing crusade that... Um, God told us to do and then in 2009 he told us to build the village so it was 12 years after getting the vision so I want to encourage those that have had visions for a long time and to encourage Morena I don't know how long you've carried that in your heart but 12 years we carried that vision and when God broke us down and broke us down and broke us down after 12 years he said now you're ready to go and build the village so we've got to allow him to shape us and mold us and make us into vessels that he can use. And that's what I keep saying. He's going to break down the world's value systems in each and every one of you who want to truly follow Jesus. And I think, as I said yesterday, there's a big thing. I prayed every day of my life, Holy Spirit guide me. And then in COVID, he said, stop praying for the Holy Spirit to guide you. Because we get so manipulative, we are so wicked, the flesh in us, that we will make our will his will. Build the village, okay, Lord, so we'll start a building. He didn't want that. He had a plan. So we, we try and make his will our will, uh, our will his will. And he's saying, just do it my way. Surrender all. And so when I say, Holy Spirit, guide me, then my mind takes over because I've achieved certain things, so I think I can do it in my own strength. And he said, stop asking the Holy Spirit to guide you. Spend more time in my presence and you will just follow me once again. He never said to disciples, come, I'm going to teach you to do this. He'd teach you. He just said to them, leave everything and follow me. We are so ingrained in the world's systems. He said to the rich young ruler, he said, sell everything, give it to the poor and follow me. But we want to go down that road, and then he says, surrender all. Yes, Lord, okay. So maybe sell your beach cottage and your third vehicle, and see if you like it, and then follow me. I handed the business over to my son when I read Angus's book, Passing the Baton, and went into the communities full time. And I said to my son, I said, Greg, boy, I just want, I only want you to run this business on godly principles. So we're still 60% shareholders, 
And that business has paid for a lot of the work that we do. And he phoned me after about a month. And he said, Dad, what is a salary for? So I said, boy, people do work, and you pay them for what they do. He said, that's what I thought. He said, I don't see you at the office any longer. He said, I need to cut your salary. I said, what? I need to cut your salary. I said, boy, let me pray about it, and I'll get back to you. So I started to pray, and I felt God say, what are you praying about? You don't work anymore. You can't draw a salary from the business. And so we started to live off dividends. And we've lived a beautiful life, and we, we haven't lacked for anything. But every month we get the dividends, live, and we've lived well. And then every month we just give the rest away to the poor, to the village, or wherever God leads us. We're building a little home at baby's home at Jeffrey's Bay. If God says, we'll do. And then came December's when we have to pay double checks and 13th checks and 14th checks. Sometimes my son pays because of the way they work. And then there are no dividends. So everybody used to look forward to December for bonuses. And I thought, oh no, here comes December again. You know, <laughs> you've got no money. But it's been an incredible, incredible journey. But he, he said to us all along he'd bring the expertise and the, and the money. And so we've started now to focus. We, we don't have... We, we just mentor the young leaders on the village. We see them regularly. Joni goes out there a lot. And we focus in on building other villages and building businesses to, to raise the money. Um, I always get impacted by Paul, who they said was a tent maker. He went and taught people to make tents. He paid his way. He was not a burden on people. And then he preached the gospel. And I think many of us in the business world, we have much influence and, and opportunities as leaders of churches do um, in the marketplace. So we're starting to, to, to build businesses now, which will hopefully build many more villages. But the biggest thing I said to them more, the government has collapsed, and, and I'm excited about South Africa. I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm so excited because the darker it gets, the brighter the light is going to shine. But we, we have to be, the, the church has to rise up and become the church that Jesus prayed we would become. We must be the example, I was speaking to France yesterday, in every different sphere, we've got to be able to do it differently than to the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're in this economy, but we don't have to be part of this economy. God is saying to us, come up above the line, and start to see things through his eyes. But we in the world and we look at the mess, come up above and look at these things with me, the opportunities there are. There's so much. You know, we, we met a guy in Birmingham after we had built the village, uh, uh, a Ravi in Birmingham at a prayer meeting. And he said to us, he's become a great friend, he said, I see the village in the spirit. I've never seen it in the flesh. I don't want to see it in the flesh. He said, it is so clear to me, it's a piece of God's Eden on earth. And we had some of the, 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 the people from Bethel come in, and one of the pastors said, he said, there's so much peace on this village. He said, the angels don't go back to heaven to rest anymore. They come to live village to rest because of the peace and what God is doing there. But Rabbi said to us, he said, it's a piece of God's Eden and then he said, but there's a problem. 
He said, there's a tree of life in the garden and there's a tree of knowledge. And then he nearly put his finger up and nose. He said, Titch, I'm warning you that people are going to come, even people in the church that are eating from the tree of knowledge and they're going to destroy what God is doing in the spirit. So we've got to be so careful that we don't hinder the work of God because of our knowledge and our worldly expertise. And we have many people coming, qualified people, accountants, um, engineers, and they want to change everything. And my, my wife, she's so gentle and thing, but she's like a bulldog. She says, no, 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 no. You don't touch this. Allow God to do what he's doing. We don't want the world systems. We want his systems. And so it's been an incredible journey for us. As Jodie says, she's so protective of, of what is happening there. And we've raised up a young group of leaders now. You see incredible things. Honestly, we see absolutely incredible things. We've just had a young guy... Uh, we took a team of rugby players. We took a team to Monaco. The princess invited us to a sevens tournament in Monaco. Now, we don't have enough numbers on the, on the village to, to have rugby. So we had two coaches from the Shark that were full-time staff. They said, no, we've got to take an under-12 team, um, and we'll train them for three months. We flew off to Monaco, and there at the tournament with Julian... Uh, Savia, uh, Liam Messam, J.P. Peterson, they were like celebrities at this tournament. We stayed at this luxury hotel overlooking the yacht basin with Monte Carlo motor race kids. The kids didn't know where they were. But we lost every game by 50 points. <laughs> Teams from New Zealand, Australia, England, America. And these guys wrote a blog in the New Zealand rugby magazine. They said, they were incredible privilege to see the talent of these kids around the world, but the team that touched their hearts more than anything was this little orphan team from Live Village in South Africa. Said so they lost every game by 50 points. They never stopped smiling. Their manners were amazing. And then in the mornings, you should have seen them smash the Cocoa Pops. They were world champions. <laughs> so, but out of that group, four or five have continued to play rugby. And we've just had a child being picked for the Natal side. And now the schools all over Natal and the rest of the country are wanting this kid to go to that school. But he was one of the kids coming back from practice. So we take them to the club in Belita to practice. Coming back, they, they've been baptized. They're on fire for Jesus. And the coach says to me, he said to them, don't you guys want the gift of the Spirit? They said they want anything to do with Jesus. And he prayed over them, and these three guys burst into tongues in the back of this car. And you cannot believe the tongues that have been spoken on the village and the interpretations that are starting to happen at church services come to me like little children. And these kids have come into the fullness of Christ. And he didn't tell us to raise up rugby players or businessmen. He said, build a village where the children will come to know they have a Father in heaven who loves them. Seek first the kingdom of God and all else will be added unto you. So the businesses have been ex uh, uh, exciting. Um, how are we going, Amal? Five minutes. So the businesses, we started businesses. We have a number of businesses now. We, we BEE partners of DB Schenker, the second biggest logistics company in the world. Um, they were looking for partners and so they said to us, would we buy 13% of DB for 108 million rand? 
It's an amazing business. We try to look for the money. There was no money. Everybody said it was great, but they also wanted to invest. But it's owned 100% by, um, by Deutsche Post. No, sorry, Deutsche Bahn. Uh, Deutsche Post owned DHL. They're the two biggest logistics companies in the world. So we couldn't raise the money. So I said to the German government, sorry, we can't raise the money. They came back to me and said, what greater privilege than to have widows and orphans of a nation as your partners? And the German government funded the deal for us. So they've, they've got 50%, so we've got 6.5%. They took 65 for their staff. We have a logistics academy now at Oliver Tambo Airport, and we have now paid that 55 million rand off through dividends that they've given us, and now we'll start to get dividends from Divyshenko every year. We have Live Clean. It's a corporate cleaning business, which we bought into this business. There were 600 staff, and it's grown. We've now come from gone from Durban to Joburg and Cape Town. We're now employing 2,500 people in that business. I could never understand how job creation and looking after orphan children went hand in hand. But as the visit has gone, and now we have 53 children out of school in universities all over the world, I started to realize that these children also, like your children, you need to look after them and stick them into jobs. So we have internship programs in the businesses that we run. We have the uh, Live Invest, which is an amazing blessing. We've got a second-hand uh, store and coffee shop, uh, upmarket clothes, which has been an incredible blessing to us. Um, that we, uh, is that the clothes? We were praying one day, be careful what you pray for. We've been able to employ 170 unemployed women in the community selling clothes. Some of them earning up to 10,000 rand a month. And the only problem we have is, 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 is the clothes. Do you want to go back to the store just to show? Um, so, and and the, inside the store, we've got this. That's the store. And this is. But we prayed one Wednesday for clothes. We have a prayer meeting in the store on Wednesdays. I said to the guys, guys, I really need to pray for clothes. Thursday. Wednesday, we prayed. Thursday, I got a phone from pick and pay they said you need clothes we just had the floods in Durban I said I need clothes they said but you need to move them by the weekend I went down to have a look there were 20 million rands worth of clothes that had been damaged by the floods so be careful what you ask God for but it created jobs for these women and we teach them the gospel we teach them to run their businesses and it's the most incredible ministry that has, that has um, come out of this, this village I mean, out of the, the businesses. Our, our heart is to, to continue to build businesses and build villages, and that South Africa will become known as the country that look after their children to the glory of Jesus Christ. We're the biggest source of child and baby trafficking in the world today. They've been sent to America into the sex trade, and we've got these children, millions of them, on our doorsteps. Friends, we've got to get out of the comfort of our churches and our homes and get into the communities and start to love those people with the love of Jesus. We've all experienced his love. But I just want to encourage you that in Christ Jesus, there are no limitations. He owns everything. And if we will just continue to do his will, I said to people, just join the dots. He gave me that beautiful picture I shared yesterday of you teach your children to draw by going follow the dots. And if we can just follow those dots, we will look back 
And as somebody said, you're free from everything when you lay it down. And my biggest prayer for you is that you lay down the things of the world. He set me free from all of those things. And the last thing he set me free from was golf. <laughs> we built a house here at Fancourt. My wife was a provincial golfer. I was down to scratch and played, got picked for the South African veteran side. And then I felt God say that I must give up golf. And I battled. And I battled. And I spoke to Rory Dye, friends of mine in the church. And Rory said, don't be ridiculous, Titch. He said, the Bible talks about the green pastures. He says, that's the golf course. (laughs) But you know when it becomes an idol in your life, I used to practice a lot and play in the tournaments. People used to invite me to go and speak at a church. I say, sorry, I'm not available. There was a tournament on. It had become an idol in my life. He set me free from bondages, but we all have idols in the closet. Even our wives and our families can become idols if they take the place that Jesus should have in your life. Your businesses, your golf can become an idol. And so he set us free from those things. And it's a, continually, it's a continual daily overcoming. It, people say, what is life like? I say, it's, I've never been busier. I've never had more problems. But there's no place I would rather be than following Jesus. So bless you guys. And thank you so much, Amor. Thank you, Ursula. Where's Kornay? And thank you for...